Hello, Serie A fans, and welcome to another episode of the Total Football Analysis Serie A podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a winner. Juventus have clinched their ninth Scudetto in a row, and we're going to discuss all of this with our TFA Serie A team. I am your host, Daniele Proc, and I am joined by football analyst Steve Coleman. Buongiorno, Steve. Morning, Danny. How are you going? Doing pretty good, thanks. We're also joined by football analyst Tom Pierce. What's up, Tom? Hey, all well, man. And of course, we are joined by EPL podcast host Chris Monfort. How's it going, Chris? Have you so? Amazing. We're going to begin with uh, the Juventus win against Sampdoria 2-0 because that uh, secured a title for the Bianconeri as well as setting um, some records for, for Juventus. So this is the ninth Scudetto in a row and uh, Juventus now have 36 official titles. I'm saying official because they claim 38 because of the Calciopoli scandal that took away two Scudettos in the 2004, 2005 and 2005, 2006 seasons. Uh, now Juventus have as many Scudettos as Milan and Inter who both have 18 but uh, let's talk first about the win against Sampdoria. Um, do you guys, uh, what do you guys have to highlight from that game? You know, another goal from Ronaldo, a goal from Bernardeschi, uh, who hadn't scored in Serie A for two years. What else happens? What else was remarkable in that game? Well, I think Samp were, were hard done by Danny, to be honest. I thought they, they had created some really good chances in the game and I thought they, um, I thought they probably deserved to get something out of it on the, on the balance of it, but it's Juventus's 61st win over Sampdoria in, in Serie A, which is quite remarkable when you consider, you know, that how how difficult they, they've had it in recent times. Um, but, uh, yeah, I thought the, the free kick was excellent uh, to, to open the scoring. How you don't mark Ronaldo uh, from a set piece, even if he's stood some way from the ball and not, not, Really pretending to be interested in it is is quite remarkable in in that moment. But um, I wouldn't mark him. Yeah, He's that, only got thirty one goals in the league, Steve. I wouldn't just. You know, I, <laughs> I had to go back and watch it two or three times from different angles to make sure that they hadn't done something crazy where he'd kind of run from from nowhere and and he'd lost a marker. But no one was marking him, so it was a, it looked a lot cleverer on on the first on the first go than it did um, on the subsequent ones. But um, yeah. It's, Disappointing from Sam's perspective, I thought they could, they perhaps could have taken something from the game, but um, Bernadeschi definitely gives Juventus something different than they've had in recent weeks. That's for sure. Juventus well, managed to keep a clean sheet, which hadn't happened in the in their previous seven games in uh, in Serie A, uh, and there were a couple of incredible saves by by Juventus's keeper Chesney. Would you agree, Chris? Absolutely. Uh, he is proving that he's worth every single. Lira uh, that he's paid. I mean, it's it's crazy. He he really should be the MVP of the game in my book uh, because he had three or four really saves. Like, okay, how did that just happen? Uh, so, yeah, no, he did he did well. I I disagree with Steve. I, I think that first set piece was like magic to me. I, I kept watching that over and over again because the speed in which it was served over to Ronaldo and the way he was able to finish. That's just, that's crazy. As far as I'm concerned, I will, I will call point out fault, you know, that the Sampdoria uh, goalkeeper coughing up that shot, he should have, he should have held on to that. Um, I really think that that's square. They, 
his coach is going to have a word with him about that that second goal for Juve. Um, if you do look at understat, it, it does have Juve at 3.49 and, and Samp at 1.09. So I'm not sure how the math is wrong because I do think that Chesney seems like he did a lot more work than 1.09's worth of expected goals. Yeah, but Juventus missed that that chance late on Ronaldo where Yoshida comes across and clears off the line, which is probably a probably a 0.8 chance in, in itself. How he how he gets across and clears it is is remarkable, really. But um, mm-hmm. just back just back to the free kick, I, I I don't know whether you can you can argue that it was so well done or whether they just there was three men not marked in the box. You know, everyone's expecting a shot from that distance, but. How you can not have people in the box to pick up rebounds or, or whatever is is remarkable, and it's uh, just another example of defending being optional this week. I'm sure. <laughs> so much for that vaulted Italian defense, huh? This time, uh, of year. <laughs> absolutely. It doesn't apply for a uh, uh, late July game. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Ronaldo scored his uh, 31st goal in uh, in the league. Is still three goals. Uh, behind the uh, Chile Mobile, but you know we usually see Ronaldo pacing himself in uh, in games. You know sometimes uh, in the recent years he has taken games off because uh, I guess he always wants to be 100% when he steps on the field. But uh, since restart, he has played every game. Uh, not only that, but his 10 goals after the lockdown um, are more goals than any other players in uh, in the top five leagues in Europe. We have uh, Raheem Sterling from Man City. Uh, who scored nine, as well as Robert Lewandowski, who scored nine. So, Ronaldo's 35. What do you guys think about him playing every game since restart, considering the heat, considering the pressure, um, still making a difference? And uh, like I said, not pacing himself as he has done in the in the past years. Well, yeah, but kind of... Yeah. Sorry, go on. My take on it is, is that he's had more time off this summer than he has probably in the last decade right because it's COVID so he, he's coming in fresh there's a there's going to be a couple of week or maybe a, a week's break um, before he kind of has to get ready for Champions League you know I say he's doing something he's either got the right trainer or he has done a deal with the devil and uh, he, he's he's going to keep keep rolling with it uh, and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't fuss with it otherwise Tom what were you going to say well, he's kind of um, altered his game game style in the past couple of years, really. So he's not really doing as much running as he was in the past. But I suppose this season he's actually kind of gone against that in the sense that he's dropping back a bit more, trying to get the ball to feet and trying to take on a bit more than he was at least last season. So, yeah, you can don't, you can only imagine it was that, that large break in July, uh, well, before July, that's, that's helped him, really. And it helps when... Uh you get to take a lot of penalty kicks. He has scored uh, 12 goals out of 13 penalty kicks that Juventus, um, that he took this season. By the way, he missed this past weekend against Sampdoria. He missed a PK. He hit the crossbar. So that makes Immobile the best penalty kick taker in, uh, in, in Serie A. We're talking about um, PK takers with at least five PKs during, the, during this season. Chris, I know you have some uh, some controversies to rise about the the fact that Serie A is considering is seeing a lot of PKs being considered. It, it it's the hand the handball PK mecca, you know that I, they're going to be all these strikers 
uh, moving over to Serie A because the living is easy. Food is good and the living is easy on the pitch. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I'm really disappointed with that. Uh, you've heard me say in the past, I think they need to go to an indirect kick uh, off for non-intentional handballs within, within the, uh, the box. And, um, you know, let's, let's get back to playing football instead of playing kickball from 12 yards out. <laughs> with, uh, with this uh, league title win, Juventus uh, set the longest streak in, uh, in Europe's top five leagues. Uh, only Bayern Munich is, is uh, chasing them, um, I guess, with eight. And also, Sarri became the oldest head coach to win Serie A. He is a 61-year-old. And despite that, he has been criticized a lot during the, during the season. But you know what? Also, Massimiliano Allegri uh, was criticized a lot when he was uh, Juventus' manager. I have a question for you guys. Is it because Juventus' fans are a little spoiled now and they just don't want to win, but they also expect now their side to play champagne football? Is that what's happening right now? Yeah, that might be the case. I think I think it takes Sarri a little while to implement his ideas and, and to get his full kind of process across to his team. I think there's been times, certainly we've spoken about in the last few weeks, where they've been quite slow and methodical and, and lacking the, the punch that I think a lot of their fans would like them to have. I think there's when you when you win so often You'd like there to be a winning with with enjoyment as as opposed to expected, and I think it will take him a little while to to really turn this team into into his own team. But at the same time, he still has to manage the personalities and the and the superstardom of of some of their squad. So, I think he's done a I think he's done a, a job that people were expecting him to do. But whether he could have done any better is is the ultimate question, isn't it? So that that's where I want to ask both you and and Tom. Could a chimpanzee have managed Juventus this season? I mean, they've got so much talent on the pitch, right? And the principles of Saudi ball, I'm not seeing inconsistently when Juve plays. And it could be my lack of understanding within tactics. but Or is it just that he needs more time to implement those, those principles? But I don't see that Giorgino sort of playmaking. I, it's... I see, I, I see Ronaldo uh, making runs and and them hitting hitting balls over the top, almost 1980s style uh, British football. Uh, Tom, what's help me unpack that? Well, they've got um, their squad's just been aging over the past few seasons, hasn't it? You know, you still got Matuidi and Kadira getting pretty decent minutes in this side, and obviously Ronaldo's 35, but it looks quite thin in some areas like in the striker they've only really got Dybala, Higuain and then Ronaldo uh, but Dybala's not really been playing as a striker this season um, but actually I read a piece this morning from Laurie who's been on this podcast about Juventus' uh, defensive like vulnerability because this is the most they've conceded in the season for I don't know how many seasons but for quite some time now and it is interesting because obviously the lick took a little while to adapt, but that's to be expected for a 20-year-old who just came from the Netherlands. And then you've had Benucci, who's not had the greatest season. So it's a mix of sort of everything, I suppose. But Chesney's been brilliant in goal from this season, I'd say. I'd say he's been probably the best goalkeeper in Serie A. And when we talk about them conceding the most goals, they conceded 38 so far this year. 
So there's only there's only um, Atalanta who've conceded less goals than them at 36. Sorry, Inter Milan at 36. So, but when you think about Saribor, Chris, it's all it's very very much. Oh, we have the ball and we have a particular style. But at the same time, when I think about Sarri's defensive organisation, the way he likes his teams to play, it's all quick counter pressing, get the ball back, let's get heart of the pitch and and get after the ball and, and dominate without the ball as well as with it. And I think with the team he has, Ronaldo does very little defending as we discussed before you know he, he does his his own section of the pitch and it, it's probably about a four meter square area where he covers and if the ball goes in there he'll win it back but other than that he'll he'll do what's just about required of him it's very difficult to to create a pressing action side with like tom says an aging side but also with players who are comfortable playing in a allegri system where they're, they're very much a, a deeper defensive block to play on the counter and then when they have the ball they can they can dominate the game that way. So I think it will take him a little while to implement exactly how he wants to do things. But at the same time, it's good management. The the fact that he's been able to manage that those egos and those those superstars to to do what he wants them to do, but also what they're they're wanting to do at the same time. Well, I just I found it interesting because he when he was at Chelsea, I, I was struck by how dogmatic he was. And his man management, maybe he had one bad apple. He had Kepa, right? But mm. but to see how he had difficulty with a 20-some-odd keeper not wanting to come off the pitch, mm. to now us lauding him and saying how awesome he is with Juve's aging, you know, superstars, mm. uh, you know, hats off to him because he is the, the first banker to win Serie A. That's <laughs> right. Uh, so hats off to bankers. But um, yeah, I just I don't get it. And, and I'm, I'm wondering if maybe he's going to step off in terms of philosophy a little bit, because I think dogma has a way of getting in the way of, of winning games sometimes. And maybe he's moving to more pragmatic, given the pieces he's got in front of him. And it it seems to be the dogma, dogmatic type coaches they're not lasting a whole lot unless you have sovereign funds behind you where you can afford to be too deep in every position. Mm. Yeah, to I think he's starting, to, he's starting to change a few things, though, isn't he, with, with uh, some, some signings coming in and, and, and guys leaving. I think, he'll, I think he'll start to shift things more in his direction. But like you say, it, his philosophy is, is his way and he's tweaked some things and added certain things, you know, Ronaldo running in behind in the last couple of weeks as opposed to coming off the front. And they don't have a lot of legs, for example. And we spoke a couple of weeks back about them being a little bit more direct, didn't we? But um, I think he'll just tweak certain things until he's got what he needs. But I don't think he's ever going to have exactly what he needs until he loses Ronaldo at the top or he's able to get somebody alongside him who can, who can act as more of a, a defensive forward for him. Yeah, to clarify Chris's joke, for those who don't know, uh, Maurizio Sarri was a, was working in a bank before getting into uh, professional coaching. And he was actually coaching on the side, starting from uh, the amateur leagues in Italian football. Um, but I agree, uh, managing uh, champions is a, is a skill and not all coaches can do that. So uh, hats off for, for Sarri, he won. So he's on the, when you're on the winner's side, you're always right. But um, uh, it's going to be hard. It's har- harsh to say, but I think that a lot of Juventus fans will fully evaluate Sarri's work and Sarri ball if we want in the next two or three weeks when Champions League come around and um, 
because that's what also what happened with uh, Allegri. Juventus is fun, always wanted the league, but uh, Allegri was missing that trophy, the Champions League. So we're going to see Juventus playing the second leg against Lyon on August 7th. And that's when um, most of the criticism I expect will be directed at Sarri if things don't go the Juventus' way. Do you guys think that um, Juventus was also a little lucky, which you need, obviously, to win a league uh, after restart because they did lose a few games. They were not in the best form. They lost against Milan. They uh, lost against Udinese. They tied Sassuolo and Atalanta. But the teams chasing Juventus were really not collecting points. Would you guys agree? Um, We'll come to that in a while. (laughs) I've got some stuff for you on that in a while, for sure. Sounds good. And, uh, well, I'll use that as an assist to uh, jump into the match analysis of Milan against Atalanta. One-to-one. Go ahead, Steve. Well, what I will say is these are probably the the two most formed sides in Serie A right now um, with the most most attacking threat, uh, barring one or two other notable um, notable uh, sides. But I was expecting a bit of a game riddled with goals. Um but instead, both teams spent most of the game cancelling each other out, unfortunately, which which for the, the guy tuning in just to watch a, a decent game of football was was a bit of a, a bit of a shame. But for me, it was a, a real tactical um, battle um, with two good quality sides uh, with managers tweaking little things to try and give them an advantage in the game. So I think it in the end, it lacked the final punch in the in the final third. Um, for a lot of the good stuff that both sides created uh, with attacking platforms. So. If you take Atalanta to start with, obviously their use of Zapata is so so crucial to the way they they want to play. And and in this game, they used they used him as a focal point at the top with with almost like a double ten underneath him with with Gomez and, and Malinowski, um, creating really good pockets of space for them to play in. Um, and that really helps um, Atalanta. But it's only effective if they can get their win backs high up the pitch. So in their three five two system. Um, they get their wing-backs nice and high to create almost like a front three with Zapata. Uh, and they actually, in this game, used the two two number sixes to drop in between the back three to almost make like a back four and encourage either side of the back three uh, to become full-backs, which was a, which a really neat way of, of doubling up in the wide areas. So you had lots of opportunities for Gomez, especially to get on the ball. Um, and his combination play with Zapata, as we've spoken about before, is so, is so dangerous. Um, from from open play that that Gasparini has done a great job to to move them much closer together since the restart. So uh, that was that was that kind of Atalanta's way forward. But Milan also on on a slightly different tack to, to try and uh, create a dominance in the centre of the pitch, but also access wide areas where where Atalanta's win backs would have been outnumbered. Used their two number sixes, um, so Biglia and, and Kessie in this game, to, to narrow Atalanta into the middle of the pitch, which enabled them to go around the outside with, with their fullbacks moving on um, and also allowed, if they did spread out, Atalanta and defend across the pitch for them to go through as they did on, on occasion. And that allowed them to, to access Ibrahimovic at the top straight away, which which created a lot of good opportunities for them as well. So, um Pioli also narrowed off the the three at the top um, alongside Ibrahimovic to create a real narrow front three, and that gave space for um, Chakanoglu in that in that in that central ten position to um, to to get on the ball and, and dominate. But 
the first thing I'm going to uh, give Chris as a bit of a side pass is uh, is what do you think of the goalkeeper for the for the first goal? Well, I don't know. I, I have to tell you, that was an absolutely ridiculous shot. I mean, first of all, as a goalkeeper, you're thinking he's not he's not stupid enough to take a shot from there, right? And I I think uh, it's Golini, right? He yeah. He, yeah. Uh, you know, his his footwork did not look too shabby. And uh, the target was about this big, and he put it right in the target. And uh, I think if he took that 10 times, maybe he gets it a half a time. I just – that that I don't know what to say about it. I, I'm going to give Golini a pass on that one, to be honest. Really? Well, I'm surprised at that. I yeah, thought, because – because uh, he would get a bit of a roasting for that. It's low, low angle – and it, he didn't have a, a clear view on it. And then by the time he realized, this guy's stupid enough to take a shot from here, <laughs> the ball's already in the back of the net. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a pass to the keeper on this. And I'm allowed to do a couple of, during the season, right? Chris, that Chalanoglu free kick reminded me of a, a free kick that David Beckham scored in 2009 against Genoa. Dave Beckham was, um, as you guys know, was playing for AC Milan for, uh, for a little bit. In that, the, the position of the free kick was the same. In that case, Beckham went for the near post. Charnaglu went for the far post. But the pace on, on the ball was, was very similar. By the way, Chris, Golini did get his fingers on the, on the ball. Mm. Just yeah. wasn't able to deflect it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, yeah, I, I, I'm going to give him a pass. And I will tell you, I that this was one of my matches of the week, right? I I had my popcorn ready, I had my soda water ready to go, and w it starts out exactly the way I thought it was. Um, but then at the end, uh, there were six shots on target, right? Yeah. And yeah. in the second half, I probably should have cleaned the kitchen and the bathrooms because <laughs> it didn't feel like the energy levels were there, right? So nah. I felt in the first half, uh, this thing had some problems, the first 20 some odd minutes. And then it just seemed like people looked at the, uh, the, the league tables and said, I'll tell you what, you go at this pace, I go at this pace. And I was a little disappointed, frankly. Yeah, that's what I mentioned earlier. I thought they canceled each other out for, for yeah. most of the game, barring, barring two or three different, different little moments. But you know, even without the the penalty uh, that Donnarumma saves, obviously, I don't think it's a great penalty. But I think Bigley is lucky to still be on the pitch. You know, we're not going to talk too much about VAR, but stamps on the guy on the ground, it's it looks pretty ugly. The, the oh, more yeah. you see it, the worse it looks. Mm. Um, you know, the double jeopardy rule around, you know, you can't give away a penalty and be sent off at the same time is is fair. But I think it's a reckless stamp at, at the very at the very least, and I, I think he's lucky. But I think without the save, Atalanta probably win the game on the balance of it. Um, and they would have been disappointed not to close the gap, obviously, on Juventus. And I think the league could have been a whole lot different had they nicked a win against Juventus and, and won this game. I think it would have been it would have been interesting, especially after Juventus left the door ajar with their defeat at Udinese a couple of days before. So, um, yeah, I think it promised a lot this one and, and maybe disappointed on, on balance that we, we didn't get a bit more out of it. I, I, I hope this is not the Atalanta that shows up against PSG because uh, then, then the wrong team's going to win as far as I'm concerned. So uh, I hope they get their mojo back. Look, I want to give credit to Atalanta because um, they keep increasing their personal record for points in Serie A. The, 
currently sit at 75 points. And uh, like Chris mentioned in the previous uh, pod, if you compare the amount of points that they have with their, with their budget, then they're doing really incredible things. Um, mm-hmm. And and we'll see about the about the the Champions League match because it's gonna be interesting with Kylian, Kylian Mbappé right now questionable. He went out mm. in the in a friendly game for a for yeah, he's ruled out this morning. They said there was he's been ruled out this morning. Oh, uh-huh. so he's not gonna play. Yeah, no, no. That's gonna help the back three of uh, of Atalanta yeah. for sure. Um, Steve, do you have anything else to add about this game? No, no, not really. I think it's. Um, yeah, maybe Atalanta will look at it as a, an opportunity missed with Juventus stumbling a little bit over the last two or three games. I think they might be disappointed. But yeah, they're, they're continuing on their march. Uh, hopefully they can keep the, the side together and just add one or two to it for next season. Uh, I think you might see them in and around the title race again next season for sure. Well, you just said that we're not going to talk about VAR, but it's going to be hard not to mention VAR uh, <laughs> in uh, Napoli Sassuolo this game this past weekend finished 2-0 for the Partenopei, but there was a record that was set. Uh, four goals were disallowed by VAR and four goals were disallowed for Sassuolo. I feel like this record will remain intact for many, many years and we're going to have Tom unpack what happened during this game. Yeah, it was mental. They All four were offside goals and I think, I think it was three times VAR ruled it out. And then one of them was just ruled as offside anyway. But generally, Napoli were the, the better side in this game. They enjoyed a lot of um, freedom down the left side with Husai, I hope I've said that right, Zielinski and Insigne. And Sassuolo just seemed very static defensively. And you could see that in the first goal. Husai come to, comes toward the box. And he literally waltzes past two Sassuolo defenders. They just let him roll right through and... He just takes a shot into the bottom right corner. That's his first goal for Napoli, I think, after like 200 appearances. So that's nice to see for him. But generally, they found a lot of enjoyment through Zielinski, just running down the core of the pitch and passing it out wide to Insigne to link up with Midic. And it was generally just quite easy to pass it around Sassuolo. Um, Sassuolo did have their chances, but they all ruled offside. The, the one which I would call them most unfortunate for was the, the Caputo goal. Because he purposefully stood still to, to stay on side, and then had a you know finishes his chance with a plum. But um, that I would call that one unfortunate. But the other three ones were just quite clearly offside. Um, but no, th- you could see that they were missing. They're still missing Boga. His directness to just dribble at a defence kind of instills that sort of fear which they're missing at the moment. Uh, uh, who came? Hamid Junior Traore came in, and he. He did well, but he doesn't bring the same type of style to the uh, to the team, which they're, they're clearly missing at the moment. And uh, that brings up a question that um, Chris was uh, was asking when before uh, airing: Is this a solo team going to be able to keep up with the intensity and the pace that they have shown in uh, in these past weeks, or uh, are don't they have enough depth? To, to do that or uh, Tom what do you think it's going to how, how do you think they're going to look for next season well they just need to sort out that defence be it the, the goalkeeper or the, the centre backs you know they're conceding far too many goals they can score I think they've scored 62 goals in the league which is you know a de- pretty decent return but they just need to sort out their 
their stuff defensively is just far too easy to pass around them and they're just far too static whenever they're approached in the final third. Yeah, we'll see what uh, what manager Roberto Lezzerbi will do when it, it's time to act on the on the transfer window. Do you have anything else to add about this game tactically? Um, no, not really. It was just it was it was a game that was just one uh, through the width, really uh, down the wings. It was kind of won and lost during, uh, through that. And uh, just a reminder, guys, if you want to check out Stephen Tom's piece about the um, Milan Atalanta game and Napoli Sassuolo game, just head to totalfootballanalysis.com and you can find uh, a detailed match analysis. Let's talk about what happened at uh, Marassi when uh, Inter blew away Jena with a 3-0 win. Uh, great performance again by Romelu Lukaku and um, a header and then a, a magnificent dribble, dribble at the end to, uh, to score his... Uh, um, 23rd goal of the season, Steve. I know that you um, you were talking about this game beforehand. What uh, what do you have to highlight about it? Yeah, I thought Inter were really bright and and really good value. We spoke recently about Conte not allowing his team off the hook in terms of their work their work ethic and their and their energy. So you always expect them to to bring to bring good um, good behaviors on, onto the pitch. I think Ericsson and Lukaku are really beginning to build a, a really good understanding um, in and around the, the edge of the, the penalty area. But I thought Gen- uh, Genoa got caught between kind of two two plans in the first in the first kind of half an hour. To be fair to them, they went after Inter, um, started to get after the ball a little bit, and then got done on a on the counter um, as, as they pushed players on. Then they almost flipped into a right. We got. A, but stay compact here and make sure we stay in the game for as long as we can and try and nick something from a from a set piece or or, or something. Um, so they sat deeper, but then couldn't defend around their box and, and got uh, got done for for the last or uh, for the second goal. And then the third one, they get done trying to trying to push on and nick something from the game. And Lukaku's last goal was a, a fantastic solo effort. But uh, like I mentioned earlier, defending optional at times for Genoa in this one. The, the defending of Crescito for the second goal is is generally horrific defending for for a defender of, of that of that level. You know he allows he allows the wide player to get past him easily and then doesn't even attempt to to try and get back and, and defend the ball. Um, so yeah, into good value. Um, Genoa lucky that Lecce are, are doing slightly worse than them at the moment. Yeah, Genoa currently are four points ahead of Lecce, so Genoa need two more points to save themselves proven that Lecce win uh, uh, both their games against uh, uh, Udinese and uh, Parma. Um, but you're right. We're seeing a lot of sloppy defending in this, past, uh, in this past matches. Mostly, I guess, it's because teams have nothing to play for and um, uh, players are tired. They get lazy. And, uh, and, so- and I want to I give some credit when credit's due. I mean, Lukaku... <laughs> you know what he's going to do, right? You know how he's going to do it. Even though you you do that, you still can't stop him. And and I just I love the diversity. You know, he he heads in a, a beautiful uh, one in that first first goal from about seven yards out, right? And then he just decides to dribble down forty forty five yards and weave through a couple of players and finish what I thought was a beautiful finish. So. I'm really struck by how older, 
older strikers and Lukaku is not old yet, but he kind of plays an old school style. But even like an Ibra, how, you know, it seems like they're at the right place at the right time sort of thing. And that's just because they've got it figured out when to make those runs, right? They trust their gut. And, you know, maybe let's fault the, the, the Italian defenders. I don't want to throw all the Italian defenders in Serie A under the bus. But, you know, you're starting to see this and it's like, okay, this is happening again and again. And there are a lot of shots where they're just giving people one or two yards. It looks like my Sunday football match, right? Where we just <laughs> don't want to bother <laughs> picking and, up. Uh, Except we're not making millions of bucks like these guys are or, or hundreds of thousands of year lira, right? Chris, you mentioned the last goal by Lukaku. I think it was especially beautiful because, well, first off, it was during stoppage time. So he had all the reason in this world to be tired. But then he, um, he did a scissor with his left foot, which is his dominant foot, uh, moved the ball with his right, cut back in, had like the sharpness to cut back in and then place it with his left foot. So it was a, a goal that really showed how, how complete of a striker he is. Um, you know, right foot, left foot, and uh, being able to dribble, to carry the ball. Um, like you mentioned, first goal was a header. So for sure, great, adi- great addition to the, to, the, um, to the league, Lukaku, and one that will play a, a very a fundamental role for Inter going forward. So guys, basically what happened this, uh, this, area, this past area weekend, we have a winner. Uh, the top four have been decided for a, for a, um, for a week now. So what is left to decide is relegation. We talked about how Genoa need two more points to not relegate. We have the Europa League, which um, is a matter of Roman, Napoli, and Milan. So basically, Milan want to chase the fifth place because that will guarantee direct access to Europa League without going through the preliminary phase. And then I guess we have a golden boot race between Immobile, who currently has 34 goals, and Ronaldo, who has 31. Immobile is two goals away from tying the all-time Serie A record for goals set by Gonzalo Higuain uh, at 36. But other than that, really, there is uh, nothing else to play for. And that's why we have Steve bring back the enthusiasm about this final two rounds of of Serie A. He has created a table of Serie A since restart. And uh, I haven't seen it. I admit I haven't seen it, but I feel like there are going to be a lot of surprises. So go ahead, Steve. Yeah. <clears throat> so I just I just got um, some interest over the weekend around who Dazzi done the best since the restart. Obviously, we've spoken a lot about the relegation battle and, and who was down there. And, and some of the sides around that bottom table have actually done pretty well, uh, picking up points um, to, to move themselves up into an area where perhaps they should have been to start with as opposed to where they were. Um, but just out of interest, who's doing the best in the league since the restart, do you think? It comes think. down to Milan, uh, Sassuolo oh, and Atalanta, but I think, yeah, it's Milan. Okay. All right. So Atalanta at the moment have, play, have, have eight wins and three draws from their game so far. They have 27 points uh, since the restart. So they're top of our restart table. Huh. Uh, Milan, Milan is second, seven wins, three draws, 24 points. Uh, and they sit second. Um, and do you remember a little while ago, I, I had the, the theory that Juve and Napoli were pretty similar if you take Ronaldo out of the side. Yeah. 
So at the moment, Juve and Napoli have both got the same record. Won five, drawn two, lost two. 17 points since the restart. Um, it's quite interesting. So uh, Juve are, are fourth, Napoli are fifth. Roma are sixth currently on the, on the table since the restart. Roma are, uh, Roma are sixth. Um, sorry, Roma are seventh based on 16 points. But there's a big, there's a big gap after Sampdoria in eighth. Um, and then there starts to be a big drop off. Where is Lazio? So for, yeah, so Lazio currently are twelfth. Uh, They've won three, drawn one, and lost five since the restart. Wow, it's bad, isn't it? So you wouldn't. So they're ten points. You wouldn't find them anywhere near the, the top. But uh, Lazio, Verona, Fiorentina, Lecce, and Calgary are all on ten points in that in that middle of the table. Wow, and Lazio were expected to challenge. Juventus until the end. I remember when we talk about that July 20th match between Juventus and Lazio was supposed to be like the title decider, but yeah. it just didn't happen because Lazio dropped many, many points along the way. Well, they, they lost they lost three in a week that week. So mm. they lost to Atalanta, Milan, um, and Sassuolo all in that all in that same week. So that was that was the end of end of that title race. But it's no surprise down the bottom, Spal. I've only picked up one point since the since the restart with one draw. Uh, Brescia five points, uh, one win and two draws. And then interestingly, Genoa and Torino have the same record: uh, one, two, drawn two, lost five, eight points. Um, while Lecce obviously have, have picked up ten. So it, it's been on 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 par. You you suggest that Lecce might might make that a little bit closer, but the the gap that they had to begin with it has been the real issue for them um, how far away they were from the bot from the from the chasing pack um, but if you remember we spoke uh, about the relegation ba battle when the season restarted we said there was probably eight teams involved in the in the relegation battle mm -hmm. so those teams for example Udinese and Sampdoria Sampdoria have collected 15 points since the restart five wins no draws and four losses Udinese, 11 points, three wins, two draws. Uh, so those two who we were suggesting were underachieving have probably achieved what we'd expect them to achieve and, and because of that moved pretty comfortably away from that relegation battle um, and turned it into a, a six-horse race and then into a, obviously a two-horse race as it is now. So, yeah, be interesting to see who who would get relegated and who would win the title um, with two, two rounds to go now, I think. There's, there's about eight teams, nine teams that could still be relegated um, on this table and, and there's still three teams that could win the league so we'll see how, what I happens. wonder so if you had asked this question before restart happened I would have put all my money on the on the fact that the teams with the deeper rosters would have just uh, been first even in this table but um, surprisingly Juventus are just fourth or fifth correct uh, they're fourth yeah so they've yeah won five drawn two lost two I think the two they've lost Obviously, they got beat by Milan. They were 2-0 up against Milan, got beat 4-2. And then Udinese, just on this week, um, where we thought the title was pretty much over. And Udinese needed a couple of extra points. Maybe the motivation levels were higher on one side than they were on the other. Um, but I think the, the two have been the two draws. You know, they scored three or five goals in those two games and picked up two draws where they've conceded the same amount of goals. So, um, yeah, so Swallow 3-3 and Atalanta 2-2 were, were two games where could have gone either way they could have lost both games to be fair mm -hmm. you know I, one one comment you know i made this over in the epl podcast 
the EPL is so out of parity right now, right? You've got Liverpool way ahead and you've got Man City pretty well ahead. You look at Spain and, you, of course, you've got Real and Barca way ahead of everybody else. The only place to find some legitimate competition is in Serie A, and, and that's been a lot of fun to watch. I will say that Juve have been a fairly uninspiring champion, right? I mean, they they have, you know, they've tied two and, and lost two, right? And they've only won four. Um, so you wouldn't expect that from a champion. But it's making the league a little more interesting. I just wonder if Juve is going to have what it takes going forward because I think – Everyone's kind of like, okay, yeah, they won. They won pretty well. Um, so I, I'm, I'm loving the, the storylines with Inter, Atalanta. Lazio has kind of lost its mojo, and you're hoping that Milan can make the cross crossover back with its fairly young squad. So yeah. um, I, I'm actually really looking forward to next season to see where, where the opportunities are. Yeah, I think Lazio have really got to strengthen uh, their depth you know, we've seen in the last two or three weeks, they just don't have enough depth to, to counter the amount of games that they've played in, in this period of time. They they had five or six players that have played it nearly every minute of every game. Um, and, and, and to be fair, Chris, like you say, if you take Ronaldo out of that Juve side, I don't think they finish anywhere near the top, to be to be quite frank with you. Or, I think or, they're a long way Chesney. off. Yeah, or Chesney, either one of those. You pull them out, and you, you know, you pull out four goals or five goals, all of a sudden we've got a real dogfight on our hands. And that's a lot of fun. Now, keep in mind your point about Lazio. They've got a 72 million euro payroll compared to Juve's 300, Inter's 140, Roma's 125, Milan's 125, Napoli's 103. So they're still punching above their weight. The only exception is Atalanta, who's got a measly 40 million euro payroll. Yeah, but I, there's a quote from Max Allegri that I, I like a lot. He kept repeating, winning is never easy. I don't care how much we've won in the past. I don't care what players we have. Winning and doing so for so many years like Juventus are doing is not easy. So um, even though, yes, Juventus uh, haven't shown to be the most brilliant team in the past weeks, at the end of the day, they how many times do we say they find a way to win? And um, yes, Ronaldo obviously helped helped a lot, but all big teams have uh, top players that uh, that make a difference, right? In the next uh, two rounds of Serie A, so round thirty-seven and round thirty-eight, if uh, I were to mark up uh, a few games, I would say take a look at Napoli Inter to be played Tuesday, July twenty-eighth, and then this upcoming weekend we have Atalanta Inter. Sunday, August 2nd. We also have Napoli-Lazio and the Juve-Roma. Uh, any, what games do you guys, um, are you guys going to watch this weekend? Uh, Milan-Sampdoria. Okay, why? Is, is, is one. Oh, just, well, my, um, my... Um, According to your table, yes. It's, it's actually yeah. one of the best games. You're right. Yeah, yeah. So that's, uh, so that's one game that, that's interesting. Um, I think I think it will be quite an interesting tactical battle between Pioli and, and Ranieri, uh, and then Lecce Udinese is an, is another one. Um, you know, Lecce need need something from the last two games. I, I think it's pretty much over for them now, but it's it's one that they 
one of two they can target and if they could nick something from this game it would it would make a very interesting final day that's for sure so i'm not going to go for the hipster games like steve's uh watching there i'm going to go for the uh, <laughs> tried and true traditionalist uh the inter atalanta game to me is i've got that circled two times uh and then i've got the napoli lazio game because i think they are pretty well on par with each other and uh, I'm hoping they don't cancel themselves out and um, we, we have a good match out of it so those yeah, are and the Atalanta Inter game is a good one if you guys uh, are trying to to watch and to see how um, back the, the the two managers um, uh, employ a backline of three because I would argue that Inter and Atalanta they do it uh, differently uh, especially Inter tend to push one midfielder in recent times, Ericsson, um, higher versus Atalanta. They play with kind of two trequartisti, if that makes sense. Uh, Tom, what are you going to watch? I'm in agreement with Chris. Anytime Atalanta uh, play, I'm, I'm interested. And that, that yeah, that's, that's an interesting point, actually. Two, two teams who play three at the back, but they play three at the back in very different ways, don't they? So should make for an interesting matchup, hopefully. I agree. Well, thank you, Steve, Chris, and Tom for your comments and analysis. Uh, We're going to wrap up our show and we will be back next Tuesday to wrap up the entire 2019-2020 Serie A season. And why not also start looking at what to expect from the following year, which will kick off um, actually in just a few weeks. Ciao.